Today we're going to talk about primarily what intercession prayer is. That's going to be my main thought, my main focus, my main topic. In talking about intercession, I want to talk about our family. I want to talk about how do you build an ark around your family. I want to talk about how you pray for your family effectively and how do you intercede on behalf of those who you love. I also want to talk about our country today. In Daniel chapter 9, we see an incredible model of intercessory prayer. We see how Daniel approaches God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, on behalf of his people. We see how Daniel identifies with the sins of his people and how he brings the case before the Lord. And I pray that after today's sermon that you and I would grow in our ability to intercede for people. I pray that we would become more intercessory prayer Christians, and that intercessory prayer would be something that we take incredibly serious and that we practice very often. Begin with me in verse number three of Daniel 9. Now, to set the context, you need to understand, and I'm going to give you many things that you may want to write down today, but you need to understand that at this point, because the book of Daniel is not written in a chronological order, so at this point in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is an older man. He's probably between the ages of 80 to 90 years old. Most likely, he's around 80 years old at this point. And Daniel, who has much experience, he was carried off from Judea into Babylon as a young man. And Daniel has spent his entire life around kings. He has spent his entire life in courtyards of royalty. And Daniel knows what it is to go to the royal court. He knows what it is to petition a king. He knows what it is to plead a case before an all-powerful emperor. And what we're going to see, this older, wiser, this 80-some-year-old Daniel, we're going to see him bring his case before God Almighty. We're going to see him before the royal court and how he intercedes. So Daniel has been studying the book of Jeremiah. If you look at verses 1 and 2, <clears throat> Daniel has been given understanding that the Babylonian captivity was going to last for 70 years. And now that Daniel has this knowledge, this understanding from the word of God, now Daniel is going to launch into a great prayer of intercession for his country. We're going to pick up in verse number three. And notice what Daniel says. <clears throat> then I turned my face toward the Lord God, seeking him by prayer, pleas for mercy, fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I want you to note that Daniel is going to turn toward deliberate prayer. These are not haphazard prayers. These are not prayers you pray before you go to bed or prayers you pray before you eat a meal or prayers you pray just for God's blessing or favor. These are not just throw up Hail Marys and hope God listens and maybe God will help us cross our fingers. Maybe God will work. Maybe God will do something. No, this was a very intentional, 
This is a very deliberate prayer. And when I read this, when I see that Daniel turned his face toward the Lord God, seeking him by prayer, pleas for mercy, fasting, sackcloth and ashes, it makes me ask myself, in my own prayer life, am I incredibly deliberate? Am I incredibly intentional in the way that I pray? Or is my prayer life just haphazard? Do I just pray when I feel like it? Do I just pray when it's convenient? Do I just pray when I need something? Come on now, right? Is my praying haphazard? I think if we evaluate our entire Christian walk, I think it would be good for all of us to self-evaluate today and say, are we haphazardly walking with God? Do we come to church when it's convenient? Do we study God's word when we feel like it? Do we tithe just when it's convenient or when we want to? Or do we just throw whatever? Or is it planned? Is our devotion time planned? Is our giving planned? Is our times of intercession planned? Is there discipline to our spiritual walk? Daniel says, I turned my face toward the Lord God, seeking him, and listen to the discipline, by prayer, by pleas for mercy, by fasting, sackcloth and ashes. Are you deliberately seeking God today? Or would your Christian life be described as autopilot, cruise control? You're just set on cruise and... You're just going through life. No, my friends, I want to encourage you. Don't be haphazard in your Christian disciplines. Don't be haphazard in your Christian walk. No, have intentionality about you. Now, he says, I am going to seek the Lord through, through prayer and pleas for mercy and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. But watch how he prays. Verse number four, I want you to note this. He says, I prayed to the Lord my God. There's a lot to unpack right here. If you're going to take notes, I want you to note this. Number one, Daniel interceded. This word prayed in the Hebrew, the root meaning of the word is to intercede. Daniel was not throwing up a Hail Mary prayer. Daniel was not just mumbling, uh, you know, mumbling underneath his breath, you know, Lord, help us and, and do whatever you will. No, he was interceding. And what does the word intercede mean? It literally means to intervene on behalf of another. This is the greatest definition that I know of interceding. It means to get in the devil's way. It means to frustrate the devil's plans. It means to step in between Satan and someone else and to frustrate the plots, the schemes, the tactics of the enemy. When Abraham interceded for Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah, you remember that Lot would not leave the city. And through, through Abraham and his incredible praying for his nephew Lot, do you remember what the angel of God did to Lot? The angel grabbed him by the arm and said, Lot, let's go. You're going out of the city. Friends, that's what intercession prayer is. It's when you pray for your loved ones. It's when you pray for your children and your grandchildren. And you say, God, grab them by the arm and intervene in their life. It's getting in the way of the devil. 
And I want to ask you today, what is your prayer life? Is your prayer life a wish list? Is your prayer life, God, give me this and God, give me that. And God, bless me with this and bless me with that. Or is your prayer life, a bulk of it, is it interceding on behalf of others? Some of us, our prayer life is so shallow because it's all about us. All about our needs, all about our wants. How much of your praying is spent praying for others? Friends, that's intercession prayer. There are many biblical examples of intercession prayer. There's Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham praying for him in Genesis 18. There's Moses praying for the children of Israel in Mount Sinai in Exodus 32. There's Moses interceding for Israel at Kadesh Barnea. There's Mordecai and Queen Esther in Esther chapter 4. There are many biblical examples of intercessory prayer, praying on behalf of others. But listen, the greatest, the ultimate, the most important example is Jesus Christ himself. Friends, do you realize that the eternal work of Jesus... The eternal ministry of Jesus is found in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. And do you know what it says? Oh, God, give us ears to hear right now. Give us hearts to understand, Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the the ministry of Jesus, the work of Jesus, listen to what Hebrews 7, 25 says, he ever lives to make intercession on our behalf. Do you know what happens when you enter into intercessory prayer? Do you know what happens when you begin to pray on behalf of the people you love? You enter into the ministry that Jesus is doing right now. Intercessory prayer. Just how important is intercessory prayer? Friends, it's what Jesus is doing right now for you and for me on our behalf. Isn't that something else to you? Intercessory prayer. The Hebrew term for I prayed in verse 4 is intercession. To intervene on behalf of others. To bring God. To bring before God the people we love. You know, it's been so well said. You should talk to God about people more than you talk to people about God. Think about that for a moment. See, some of you, take your children, for example. Some of you have grown children who are away from the Lord, and you talk to them all the time. You need to get in church. You need to change your life. You need to turn things around. You need to do better. You need to do this. You need to do that. And I understand we're to instruct. We're to speak into our children's lives. But let me ask you a question. Are you talking to God about your children more than you're talking to your children about God? It's intercession prayer. Are you adding fasting to your pleas of mercy? You want to put dynamite to your prayers? Add fasting to it. And it's like dynamite added to your praying. Daniel is the model of intercessory prayer. 
Now notice what, let's go deeper into this. Not only does the word prayed here in verse 4 mean intercession, there's also another difference in verse 4. Notice what he says. He says in verse 3, I turn my face to the Lord God. But notice when he intercedes, when he begins to pray, he says, I pray to the Lord my God. Notice the difference in the terms Lord. Notice in verse 4, Lord is spelled with all capital letters, whereas mixed in, it's mixed throughout chapter 9. Some is capital L, lowercase o-r-d, others are all caps, Lord. What's the difference? Well, the capital L, lowercase word, is the Hebrew term Adonai, which is a beautiful term for God. It's a beautiful title for God. Adonai means Lord and Master. So uh, I think last year we did uh, a series in 19 uh, called uh, The God Of, and we explored many of the Hebrew names of God in that series called The God Of, and Adonai was one of them. But here in verse 4, when he says, I pray to the Lord my God, the word Lord here is all caps, and that indicates not the title of God. It indicates the actual, literal, personal name of God, which is Yahweh. Do you know what Daniel is saying? Daniel is saying, I'm coming to you, God, personally. I'm coming to my personal God. These are personal prayers, and I'm appealing to you, oh God, on a personal level. I'm calling you by your personal name, Yahweh. Do you see the intimacy of his prayer? Friends, do you realize that you can bear your entire heart before the Lord? Do you realize that you can bear your soul before the Lord? Do you realize you can bring your hurts your sorrows, your pains, your concerns, your fears, your worries, your doubts, you can bring them all personally to a very personal God. Amen. Daniel is personally calling on the name of the Lord, Yahweh. And what does he say next? I prayed with confessions. Saying, oh Lord, great and awesome God. Now there's a pattern to Daniel's praying. If you're going to take notes, note this. There's a pattern to his praying. Number one, we see worship. Number two, we see confession. Number three, we see request. Here, Daniel begins his praying with worship. Now remember, Daniel's an expert in the royal courts. And he knows how to approach Yahweh. He knows how to approach the Lord, his God. And he doesn't come with worry. He doesn't come with fear. He doesn't come with doubts. He doesn't come with concerns. What does he first come with? Worship. Friends, is that how you and I pray? Before we begin to intercede, before we begin to tell God our needs, before we begin to explain to the Lord where we are and what we have need of, do we begin first with pure exaltation, adoration, worship, reverence to the Lord our God? You know, friends, it changes the way you pray when you deliberately begin your praying with worship. It changes your tone, it changes your feelings. It changes your expectations. It changes your attitude. Do you worship the Lord in your praying? Now think about that for a moment. 
Let's explore this. If the Lord were to replay for you all of your praying, how much worship is in your praying? See, often, especially in our type of church setting, we view worship and praying as two different elements, don't we? But no, my friends, they're the same. How much worship is in your actual praying to the Lord? Daniel begins with worship. He worships God for what? For his steadfast love. For his promises. Verse 4. That God keeps covenant and that his love is steadfast. you know what the Hebrew word is here? Hesed. Which means loving kindness. God's covenant is eternal. And Daniel begins his great intercession prayer with reminding God of his tremendous and great and precious promises. Do you and I pray in the same manner? Do you ever remind God of his word? Do you ever remind God of his faithfulness? That's not a wrong thing to do. That's not an irreverent thing to do to say, God, I'm reminding you, Lord God, of what you say in your word. I remind you, Jesus, of what your word says. Oh, I don't think the Lord takes offense to that. I think the Lord loves that. It means you're standing on the promises of God's word. Now, notice what happens in verse 5. We see in verse 3, he's praying deliberately. We see in verse 4, it's intercessory prayer. It's intimate prayer. He's calling on the name of God. We see that he's reminding God of his promises, of his covenant. But now, watch the shift in verse 5. Now he's going to begin with confession. He began with worship, and now he's going to continue with confession. Look what he says. We have sinned. Now, how many different ways can you say you've sinned? (laughs) Daniel helps us. We have sinned. We have done wrong. We have acted wickedly. We have rebelled. We have turned to the side from your commandments and statutes. Rules. How many different ways can you sin? Daniel listed five right there. And here's what I want you to see today. When it comes to interceding on others. Now, this is very important to understand in intercessory prayer. You cannot be spiritually aloof here. Daniel has the right attitude toward God and toward sin and toward the sin of his people. Does Daniel say that Israel has sinned? Does Daniel say your people have sinned? No, Daniel says we have sinned. Daniel identified with the sins of his people. He took responsibility. You may want to note this. Between verses 5 to verses 18, Daniel uses personal pronouns some 30 times. Daniel identified with the sins of his people. Friends, as you and I begin to pray for our country, as we are headed, as we are hurtling toward this election season, as you and I pray over the sins of our country, as you and I are grieved over the sins of our country, may God grant us the right attitude toward our country, not that it's their problem, but that it is our problem. Not that it is their sin, but that it is our sin. 
And if repentance is going to come to this country, where must repentance come first? It must come from the people of God. And if we do not lead in repentance, then how shall repentance ever come? How can national repentance come to this country if it will not first begin in the house of God? The stakes are high right now, my friends. You see the news. You see everything that's happening. You feel the climate. You feel the atmosphere. You feel the intensity. You feel the spiritual warfare. And what should the response of the church be? Confession. Intercession. Repentance. The cry of repentance should be coming out of every pulpit in this country. See, do you realize that cities have cries that go up before the Lord? Sodom and Gomorrah, what was the cry that arose before the Lord? It was the cry of wickedness. And what did the Lord do? He brought destruction. But do you remember when the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt and the groanings and the cries and the prayers of God's people rose before the Lord? And what did the Lord say? He heard the cries of righteousness. And what did God bring? Deliverance. Out of our country right now, out of our states right now, out of our cities right now, out of our towns right now, what cries are lifting up before the Lord? Are they cries of wickedness or are they cries of repentance? Does God hear the voice of his church in this hour? Or are we earning our money, buying our toys, playing with our hobbies, Are we distracted that we're not interceding and praying for our country, praying for our children as God's people ought to pray? And how shall we pray? Verse 3, by prayer, intercession, by pleas for mercy, by fasting, by sackcloth and ashes, repentance. With humility is what that means. What's God hearing from us today? Is he hearing cries of righteousness? Is he hearing cries of repentance? Or is all that God hears are cries of wickedness? Church, our voice matters in this country. Our voice matters in this society. Our voice matters. And we must cry out to the Lord on behalf of our country. Daniel identified 30 times he uses personal pronouns. He identified with the sins of his people. And right now, my friends, there are such great sins upon our land. There are such great sins in our country. Will we pray and will we lift our voice? Right now, there is an attack. There is an absolute assault against God and his authority. And let me tell you for right now where it's aimed. Now let me tell you what I think will happen. I think right now it is aimed toward the family. Right now, Satan and his agenda is attacking the family like never before. But ask yourself, why is Satan attacking family like never before? Why is Satan attacking marriages as never before? Why is he attacking the family unit, the nuclear family? Why? Because ultimately it goes back to the authority of God.
Why is there an assault on authority right now? The police, government, even our monuments. What's wrong with the attack on monuments right now? You know, I was thinking about this the other day. And I was thinking, you know, yes, we have many scourges against our country. I mean, there are, there are, there are horrendous things in our country's past, particularly in the area of race. But I was thinking about this. You cannot rewrite history. You can learn from history, and we are to learn from history. But think about this for a moment, okay? I'm not asking you to think politically, because I could care less what your political views are, and I could care less with telling you my political views. I'm not being political. I'm asking you to think biblically for a moment. This is where I'm going with this. All of this disruption is an attack on God's authority. Now, let me ask you this. Why did God not rewrite the history of his word? Are there terrible things we read in the word of God? (laughs) If I were God and I was trying to get people to follow me and my commandments, there's a lot of things I would cut out of the Bible. I would cut out David and Bathsheba and David's murder. I wouldn't leave that. Would you leave that in the Bible? I would rewrite that in a heartbeat. But you know what? God doesn't rewrite history. And you know why God doesn't rewrite history in his precious and eternal and infallible word? It's so that you and I might learn from history. And the attacks that we're seeing in our country today is ultimately an attack on authority. And I believe it's going to go from police, I believe it's going to go from family to ultimately Christians and the church. Why? Because what's the agenda? Attack authority. And who is the ultimate authority? God Almighty. Now, there are organizations today that are setting out to destroy the family. There are movements and organizations that are against biblical family. Now, again, I'm not trying to be political. I could care less your politics. I could care less to tell you my politics. But I'm talking about a biblical worldview. I'm talking about us as Christ followers being thoroughly, incredibly biblical in the way we think and the way we feel. In our thinking as well as our emotions being biblical. There is an attack on the nuclear family. Now, what is a nuclear family? I'll be honest with you. I had never really heard the term nuclear family until it came under attack. And what is a nuclear family? A nuclear family is a mom and a dad and children. It is the traditional family. And Satan hates it. And he is attacking it. Now, while God's design is the nuclear family, can God restore? Can God redeem? Can God bless? Can God make beauty of ashes? Oh, absolutely. 
I'll tell you this, some of the absolute strongest and most godly families in our church are blended families. If you want my personal opinion, I think in a way Jesus grew up in a blended family. For Joseph was not his biological father. I think God can bless different family structures. God can bless the nuclear family, which is a traditional mom, dad, children. I think God can bless a single parent home. God can bless a blended family. God can bless a Western, uh, a uh, extended family, which is a family where grandma or grandpa are raising grandchildren, or aunts or uncles are raising children. It, an extended family structure. But understand this. Satan's aim is on marriages. And why his, his aim on marriages? Yes, God can bless different family structures just because, just because someone walks out of a marriage. I don't think God leaves that individual even though maybe one sinned and walked away, I don't think God leaves that person. I don't, I do not think that divorce is the unpardonable sin. God can bless your life despite what other people do to you. But we must understand this, church, as a church. Satan is after the nuclear family. He's after marriage. He's after children growing up with their mother and their father in the same home. Satan is after these things. While this is highly controversial, I don't mean it to be controversial, nor do I mean for this to be political. I mean to be biblical, and you need to understand this. I want to show you right now the organization Black Lives Matter. Should Christians support Black Lives Matter? Well, let me give you how I feel about the issue. Jesus tells us how we are to feel concerning racial harmony. Jesus says, you want to talk about what matters. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says that if a sparrow falls to the ground, he sees it. And then Jesus says, how much more valuable are you being humanity than they? Let me tell you, my friends, organizations should not hijack the message of the church. And let me tell you, no one should have a louder voice when it comes to racial issues. No one should have a louder megaphone when it comes to racial harmony than the blood-bought church of Jesus Christ. If any place there should not be racial division, it's in the precious church of Jesus Christ. If anywhere there should be racial harmony, it is in the blood family of God. And we should not allow any organization to hijack that message. Now here's my concern with Black Lives Matter. Here's my concern with their... I don't have a concern with the statement because I agree with the statement. Black lives are precious as are Every other. Here is my issue, my friend. I'm not being political. I'm being biblical. 
And Black Lives Matter in their statement of faith, or their, their mission, or their beliefs, I should say. I believe it's on your screen. It says that they are committed to the disruption of the Western nuclear family. Precious brothers and sisters, that is unbiblical. That is why I cannot support the organization. I can support the statement, but I cannot support the organization. It is unbiblical. It is an attack on family. Throughout their beliefs, it mentions mothers, it mentions children, it mentions parents. Not once, noticeably, not once are fathers mentioned. Not one time. Friends, this is an assault on family. It is an assault. Do you know how important fathers are to the home? Now, Lord Jesus, help me to say this so cautiously and gracefully. Let me tell you how important fathers are to the home. The Barner Research Group tells us, if a father is involved in his children's spiritual formation, in their spiritual lives, listen to this, children are 93% more likely to come to Christ. If it is the mother only, that number drops to 17%. Did you know that when it comes to children attending church, growing up into adulthood, and becoming Christ followers and church attenders in adulthood, if the father brings the family to church, the statistic says that the children are 73%, I'm sorry, 72% likely to stay in church. With the mother only, 15%. That is how important fathers are to our families. Do you know that the lowest attended Sunday in America is Father's Day? Friends, that ought not be so at Preaching Christ Church. Now, let me say a word of grace here. Say you're a single mom today. And you're doing the very best you can. Let me tell you something, my friends. My mom was a single mom through most of my childhood. My parents divorced each other twice and remarried each other. I grew up in a very difficult family. And my dad was not a Christian until the last 15 years of his life. My mom brought me to church so consistently And let me tell you, what these statistics don't factor in is prayer. And my mom was a praying mom. And thank God my life defied these statistics. Amen? And you can too. And if you're a single parent today, if you're a single dad, if you're a single mom, you keep bringing your kids to church. If you're a blended family today, let me tell you, the favor of God can be all over your family. The blessings of God can be all over. If you're a grandparent raising your grandchildren, the favor of God can be all over you today. But we must understand there is an attack on family. There's an organization called Family Story that is so wicked. It is a wicked organization set out to attack families. 
Let me tell you another wicked organization. It's called Shout Your Abortion. Shout Your Abortion does everything they can to celebrate the murder of babies. Friends, we live in a country that is great in wickedness. And you know what we must do as the church? We must lift our voice. We must have a louder voice than everyone else in prayers of confession. God, it is our sins that rise up to you. And we repent on behalf of our country. We repent on behalf of our people. Shout your abortion is doing so much damage in our culture today. And let me tell you something. Let's say you're here this morning or you're listening online and you're a mother or a father that you, you went through an abortion in your past. Let me tell you, child of God, your voice matters more than anybody. Because if you've had an abortion and you've experienced the grace of God, you've experienced the forgiveness of God, you have a testimony. You have a testimony of a mistake that God has forgiven and had grace on you. Let me tell you, your voice matters more in this culture than anyone's because you are a testimony of grace. Going back to the issue of fathers, do you know why most abortions happen? Due to the father. Either due to the lack of the absence, the presence of the father, or due to the pressure of the father. If fathers would take their role our country would be vastly different. And today, if you're listening and you're a father and you're haphazard about your spiritual life, if today your wife is more spiritual than you, if you're drugged to church, if you just haphazardly walk with God, Father, do not neglect your great and awesome responsibility. For you set the tone in your home and you set the tone for your children's eternal destiny. Take it serious. Verse number nine, Daniel appeals to the great mercies of God. Daniel appeals to God Almighty. And you know what Daniel says? Oh Lord, salvation, forgiveness, and mercy belong to the Lord our God. Verse 18, Daniel makes his request. What do we say? The pattern of prayer, worship, confession, Request. Now Daniel makes his request. Daniel says, O Lord, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolation. For we do not present our case for our righteousness, but for your great mercy. And now I end with verse 19. Look what Daniel says. And this is our prayer. This is the model prayer for our country. It's the model prayer for our marriage. It's the model prayer for our children and our grand and great-grandchildren. Verse 19. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, pay attention and act. Oh, Lord, do not delay. Will you pray that today for our country, for your family? How do you build an ark for your family? While the judgment of God is coming, how do you build an ark around your family? Worship, confession, request. 
intercessory prayer. So God, we do that now for our children, Lord. May you save our households, deliver our households, rescue our households, Lord God. Bring our children, our grandchildren and great-grandchildren to a personal knowledge, to a personal relationship with Jesus. And God, we pray for our country as there are agendas after agendas, attacks after attacks on family, your design ultimately on your authority. God, we don't point fingers. We don't blame. God, we say our sins have grieved you as a country and as a people. And God, today we turn our face toward you and we appeal to you, the God of mercy, have mercy on our country. Forgive the sins of our land. Come and heal us, Lord God. We repent of racial strife. And God, we pray that you bring racial healing to this country, Lord God. Thank you for your great work in our land, in our pulpits, in our churches. And God, may you be glorified in your church forever and ever.